We're all increasingly familiar with giant wind turbines dotted around the country, but there's now serious progress towards an offshore industry. A new offshore wind zone is being proposed by the federal government off the coast of the New South Wales Hunter region. That's home to the massive Liddell coal power plant that was shut down just last month. And further south, Victoria will host the first offshore wind farm in Australia, the Star of the South project. That's due for completion in 2028. Both these regions have been identified by the government as having world-class wind energy potential. The four other regions are off the coast of the Illawarra in New South Wales, the Southern Ocean region of Portland in Victoria, the Bass Strait region of Northern Tasmania and the Indian Ocean of Perth and Bunbury in WA. Let's hear more now from two companies looking to build this infrastructure. Emily Scavetti is from OceanX, which is working on the Novocastrian offshore wind proposal. Hi there, Emily. Hi, Geraldine. And Erin Coldham is from Star of the South. That's Australia's most progressed offshore wind project. Welcome to you, Emily. Erin. Uh, Good morning, Geraldine. Uh, before we get into the details of your proposal, is it fair to say that Australia hasn't had to develop offshore wind because we've been able to put turbines on land? But is, that's all about to change. Is that a sort of a reasonable, reasonable summary before we get into the detail? To you first, Erin. Yeah, I think that's right, Geraldine. We've been blessed with uh, vast onshore solar and wind resources here in Australia. But when you start to add up how much renewable energy Australia is going to need going forward to power the nation, you quickly come to the conclusion that we need to go offshore. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. The offshore winds are strong and consistent. And as someone who's been out on a boat in Bass Strait quite regularly, I can attest to that. Um, but it also makes sense because it's where our populations live. So around 22 million Australians, or more than 85%, live within 50 kilometres of the coast. So it makes a lot of sense to produce that electricity close to where people live so that we can uh, get the amount of capacity we need going forward. So in December last year, the Energy Minister Chris Bowen declared Australia's first official offshore wind development zone to be in, in the Bass Strait off the coast of Gippsland and Victoria. And I think people possibly didn't quite grasp, you know, the significance of this. How large is this offshore wind zone? Where does it run? How far off the coast? Yeah, so those familiar with Gippsland, it does run from the east side of Wilson's Promontory through to uh, the east of Gippsland around the Lakes Entrance area. And it was a really historic moment. Um, there was quite a few people gathered there that day down in Sea Spray. Witnessing history, it was the first time in Australia that we've seen an offshore wind zone declared. And what that allows is for companies like ourselves and other developers to apply for a licence to investigate the next steps of developing those projects. Now, we've been doing that for some years under a different licence framework, but now we are seeing that opportunity for others to do that work, which is really an important next step. And where, where are things in the planning process now? Yeah, so we've been developing Star of the South for around five years now. So we've ticked off a lot of the fundamentals. We've collected wind and wave data out at sea over a number of years. Um, environmental data, so the whales, the birds, around 50,000 observations out in the unique marine environment that we have in Bass Strait. Uh, and most recently, we've mobilised a vessel to collect seabed um, samples so that we can design the wind farm foundations. So all of that work's really important and helps towards the regulatory 
regulatory approvals. We are in that process at the moment. As I mentioned, we actually submitted our licence application last week to the federal government. So that will be an important next step. Um, we look forward to hearing the outcome later this year. And just to flesh it out, I read that it'll comprise about 150 turbine towers, about 350 metres tall, and that will be located off the south coast of Gippsland. And the towns nearby are Port Albert, McLaughlin's Beach, Woodside Beach. I have to ask you, do you have those people on side in your judgment? Yeah, look, we've been talking with Gippslanders, um, traditional owners and people who live along that coastline for around five years, and that's been an important foundation of our project. We started really early engagement to talk about offshore wind, and what we've found is Gippslanders are really pragmatic. <laughs> no one knows more than anyone around the power generation and the coal generation that is coming off over the coming decades, and there's a real appetite for continuing that tradition, not only the sense of pride that that brings as a region, but also the jobs and the economic opportunities and offshore wind's a perfect example of that. Uh, we've already hired a number of locals and we have an office in the township there. So we've been really um, welcome in that community and we look forward to um, going through the next steps of the development. Now, Emily, the coast near Newcastle is the next priority area. What's thus far been proposed there by government? Thanks, Geraldine. Uh, the proposed area of the Hunter is an area suitable for floating offshore wind technology. So as Erin explains, we will access the same strong winds off the coast uh, and subject to the public consultation period evaluation by the government, we hope that the area will be declared, uh, the northern boundary reaching from Port Stephens down to Nora Heads. And what that will mean is that proponents like OceanX and Equinor can apply for feasibility licences to prove up uh, wind farms using floating foundation technology. Yes, and, and to clarify, the government has let the public know about the suggested size and, and location of the zone. That's what happened last week. And boy, did they respond. Nearly 2,000 <laughs> submissions yes. for Energy Minister Chris Bowen to read. So there's obviously a huge amount of interest. And I wonder what how you judge that interest, honestly. Well, uh, we've been working with uh, stakeholders uh, and community in the Hunter region and the Illawarra region and as far south as Eden for three years already, well ahead of an area being declared. And there is a significant groundswell of support for offshore wind in the Hunter region. We represent uh, significant uh, regional investment and thousands of jobs. Uh, and so as coal Are you fire sure of that, are you? This is not just a nice speculative um, tilt? No, no. I, I always speak to my team around understanding the jobs that fall out of a construction phase um, because we want to go into communities and help them understand the pathway into these jobs uh, and the opportunities. Um, it's, it's, it's just just the numbers of years that these take. There's a lot of money involved, isn't it? And just in preparing for this, I mean, you would aim to start construction uh, in 2028 and the total project size at this stage is, is 2,000 megawatts. So this is really huge. Now, this will use floating turbines. Is that the idea? That's correct. The Novocastrian offshore wind farm will, will cost around $10 billion to build. These are nationally significant infrastructure projects that need many years uh, uh, to get into the water, as Erin says, to understand the seabed, uh, to understand the wind resources, and we need to obtain feasibility licences as early as 23, 24 in order to start construction in 2028. And finishing when then? 
We hope to supply the electricity grid with the first offshore wind power in New South Wales in 2030. Uh, so that means that we will energise before construction is completed um, and hope to finish in 2031. And that's when, say, La Trobe is destined to close down, isn't it? The planned that's closure right. of La Trobe. I mean, 80% of New South Wales power comes from, from uh, coal fire. Last Friday, we had Liddell in August 25, Araring will shut down. Um, and offshore wind provides this bulk replacement, which is really important for the New South Wales uh, mm. reliable security. And just before we go further, Erin, you don't have floating turbines. You have a different uh, a, a method of, of, of attachment, don't you, for your plans? Yeah, that's right. In Gippsland, we have sea depths that allow for uh, fixed turbine foundations. So that's the more commonly used foundation around the world. Um, so we are very confident that that will be possible with the, the data that we have collected and the planning that we are doing. Right. Now, to both of you, really, there are a lot of, a lot of strengths in both the Hunter and Gippsland. How important is it to be near existing transmission infrastructure, a skilled workforce. I mean, obviously the very windy location, but uh, you know, are other things becoming clear about what makes uh, wind useful? First to you, Emily. Transmission into grid is an essential part of an offshore wind project. Our run into grid is, is less than seven kilometres, uh, which means that we, um, we have a very short run and the existing skill set is already around our deep water ports. For large scale infrastructure projects, it's wonderful to have a regional workforce uh, within one hour drive of the, of the construction site. So we believe the Hunter is the perfect location um, for our site now, the and our transmission connection. According to OceanX, the estimated capital expenditure to build this is $10 billion, a staggering amount of money. Who are your investors? We've partnered with uh, Equinor. Equinor is Norway's largest company. They're also the global leader in floating foundation technology. So it's important to have a stable investor who invests in regions for, for the long term. They're a very conservative investor who looks at the opportunities of a region for 30 years and beyond. Uh, and so OceanX has partnered with, uh, with Equinor for our New South Wales projects. Right. And, and just to clarify, those 2,000 submissions that Mr Bowen's going to have to see, um, you th your judgment, is they, are they going to be overall favourable or not? Or, or mixed, heavily mixed? <laughs> After the years of consultation with the Hunter community and industry, we believe that they will be very positive towards um, okay. feasibility licences uh, and that's what we're seeking at, the, at this time. Now, Erin, what's the estimated cost of Star of the South project and where's your capital coming from? Yeah, it's a similar range. So these are mega projects around $10 billion. And our investment comes from uh, Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners. They're a fund management company that has uh, a significant experience and history with offshore wind, being Danish, and uh, has a 50 gigawatt pipeline around the world. They're building uh, not only in Europe, where offshore wind is well established, but also the first uh, US project off the coast of Massachusetts at a commercial scale, as well as projects in Taiwan and South Korea. So we've been very fortunate to have their support, um, not only financially, but also their expertise in building offshore wind around the world and transferring that into Australia. Uh, you know, we saw that those incredible blowout to the uh, um, Snowy 2.0 project, uh, the construction timeline blowout, 
which I think was really rather depressing to read. Does that weigh, does, does, mm. does that sort of issue weigh on your minds? Yeah, absolutely. As Emily mentioned, we know that this is becoming urgent. We, we are seeing the coal-fired power stations close down. Um, I believe 60% of coal is predicted to uh, exit the market by 2030. So there is a profound sense of urgency within our team to get moving. So it's been really positive to see action um, from our perspective, both from the Victorian government and the federal government to uh, create the necessary settings to get it moving. There are still some steps to go, obviously, with the licences and and environmental approvals, which are also really important. Um, but we really don't have a moment to lose. We do need to get on with it. And very quickly, final word to you, Emily, about blowouts. <laughs> we just want to get a feasibility licence uh, so we can continue our comprehensive engagement with key stakeholders and get in the water in 2028. Well, it'll, uh, it'll be fascinating for you all to go through and for us to watch. Thank you very much indeed, Emily Skivet from uh, OceanX. Thank you. Thank you, Geraldine. And Thanks, Aaron, Aaron. Aaron Coldham, the Chief Development Officer for the Victorian-based Star of the South. Thank you. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.